everybody. Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andracki here playing host and Andy Martinez joined me for a great chat with Bruce Miles. He was a Cubs beat writer for over two decades covering the team for the Daily Herald and both Andy and I had an opportunity to work alongside Bruce as we were young journalists coming up. We learned a lot from him, a lot about how to go through uh, covering this team and covering in this market in particular and writing to the fan base. So Bruce uh, is absolutely a legend and he has such a great perspective. He's covered so many incredible Cubs moments uh, starting in that 1998 season and all the way through, obviously, the World Series and several years after that. So uh, we look forward to a great chat here with Bruce Miles and hope you guys enjoy. First off, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us and telling us some of your stories. How's it, how have things been for you over the last few years? Oh, very good. And thank you for having me. It's uh, been more of a semi-retirement than retirement. I've done a lot of writing. Currently, I'm working uh, freelance for NHL.com, covering uh, Blackhawks home games. And we all know what kind of start they've gotten off to. I've uh, done some work for my alma mater, Loyola University Chicago, on their sports website. And also working with a wonderful group called Athletes Unlimited, which plays uh, various women's sports, including softball in the Rosemont uh, area. So I've uh, been keeping busy enough, but uh, able to enjoy life as well. How, you know, as you talk about it too, just from like, you know, over, like we said, 20 years of covering the Cubs, but in semi-retirement now, what, how have you witnessed the industry change in 20 plus years of covering the Cubs specifically, and even now a couple of years after, and just like, how do you see fans in general changing? Like social media has been such a huge aspect of sports uh, media, I think, and just, I think sports fandom in general, but what's been your perspective on that, Bruce? Right, you know what? And that's really a short period of time, but so much has changed. Uh, the internet, I think, first of all, with immediacy, we used to be able to get to the park as writers, uh, gather your notes before the game, go have a nice lunch or dinner, and then write your game story. Now, information, people want it immediately. So you're tweeting, Facebooking, whatever it might be, and adding stories to your own papers or websites site during the game, before the game. So I think just the immediacy, the need and the want for immediacy with, uh, with the internet started things, and then social media, I mean, just uh, instant interaction with readers and fans, some of it good, some of it bad. But I just think those two things were, were the biggest changes of all. And, uh, you know, and, and so many more media involved, blogs, websites and uh, TV and radio taking on greater presence with uh, in-game programming and so forth. But just I think just in a very short period of time, just revolutionary changes and still things are changing. Bruce, for you, what was the biggest uh, change that you had to overcome in those? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of change for everyone. But for you personally, what did you feel like was the biggest area of growth for you or, or the biggest learning curve for you? Well, I think just trying to keep up with the daily events, knowing that when you got to the park, you might have to file a story as soon as you got there. If the Cubs at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for a night game said that we're sending this guy to the minors or we've traded for this guy, you've got to get started even before you go down to the clubhouse and talk about players. So I just think that it's the 24-hour the, the news cycle for me was the biggest thing to get used to because before it was, you know, file your game notes, file your story, go home, and we'll see what happens in the paper the next day. We'll all 
all the newspapers, but I just think that 24 hour news cycle was the biggest. And in a lot of ways, it was a lot of fun because it got your work out there early. People got to see it early. And then you got to interact with them on social media. Like I said, some good, some bad, but mostly good. I enjoyed talking with the fans and I always wrote for the reader. I never wrote to impress my editors. I never wrote to impress other writers. I wanted to entertain and inform the fans and, and the readers. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I love that too, Bruce. That was actually something that I picked up from you early on. I, I remember you saying something similar when I was a young journalist breaking into the industry that you always wrote for your readers. And it, just in general, I mean, you know, growing up, like you said, in the area from going to Loyola and just being around the Cubs and you know what the Cubs do to the fans, to to your readers, how passionate they are. Uh, how difficult maybe was that to write to the readers at times or just in general, like, to, to understand the ever-changing fan base with the Cubs from, you know, you saw 1998, you saw 2003, and then you saw 2016. And, and after, how did that change over those, you know, 20-plus years? Well, when I first came in in 98, they were still the lovable losers. And then you had the, my first year, Sammy Sosa, uh, Kerry Wood. I think things really changed after 03. There was a lot of bad feelings after the so-called Bartman game, after they lost games six and seven to the Marlins in 03. Fans were angry, angrier than I'd seen them before. Before, after say the, the 98 wild card loss, you know, fans were more accepting, but they really, really turned angry. And, and in a lot of ways, making the playoffs in 07 and 08, and then losing there, fans became hungrier. They said, you know, we don't, we don't uh, anymore want to be lovable losers. We want to win. That changed, of course, in 2016, but due to various factors, you know, I, I, I think just the Cubs fan base has become more critical over the years. It may be in some respects a little angrier, but um, there's nothing wrong with wanting your team to win and demanding that your team win. You mentioned, you know, 98, 03, 07, 08, 16, just in the various years that you covered the Cubs, what was your favorite moment? What was, you know, when do you look back or what do you look back and say, you know, I wish I could relive that, that moment. Well, I think that you have to set 2016 and the covering the world series aside because that in and of itself was a surreal experience once in a lifetime for me. Anyway, you guys may cover another one here soon, but my favorite game was the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game, just because here's a 20 year old kid 20 strikeouts. The ball was doing all kinds of crazy things that day. So I think that for if there's any one game, it would be that one uh, simply because he was so dominant that day. And over all of the years, I did a 20 year anniversary piece on that. Kerry and I remained respectful and friendly with each other. He didn't always have a great relationship with some members of the media, but he and I kind of had some mutual respect because I gave him a space. He didn't like to be asked to think about mechanics or his health. And on days he didn't want to talk, I didn't bother him. So I think for that one day, uh, that, that's when I'd like to go back and relive. There, there were some teams that uh, who didn't win but were kind of fun. The 2001 Cubs had guys like Ron Coomer, who we all know from the broadcast booth, Matt Stairs, Eric Young, Ricky Gutierrez, Kerry Wood was on that team. Sammy Sosa had a monster year that year. Uh, Kevin Tappany, guys like that. That team was in first place for four months before fading off at the end. But that 0-1 team, boy, they had some characters and guys like uh, Matt Stairs and Ron Coomer really kept it loose. Yeah, kind of along those same lines, Bruce, who were some of your favorite guys to talk to, your go-to interviews over your career? 
Yeah, there were so many, you know, Ryan Dempster, who's on Mark Hill, that was always nice. He always said, whenever you need something, call me. And we'd talk hockey or whatever it might be. Uh, coming up uh, my first year, a closer named Rod Beck, spring training that year, you know, he came in from the Giants and he was always a little bit portly. And I would, I asked him one day about his weight. And I said, Rod, do you think that'll be a problem? He goes, you ever seen anybody go on the DL with pulled fat? And he gave her that kind of... <laughs> that he used to give. So Rod was uh, always a good one. Uh, Kevin Tappany, the pitcher back in those days, a very sharp wit boy. There was nobody off limits, including, you know, he, he talking to you that he might uh, give you a little jab. Eric Young, a really smart guy. There's just so many more, many more good than bad. I, I would have to say count on one hand anybody that I really didn't enjoy dealing with. But I mean, that, that from early days until now was kind of a good cross section of guys that I really enjoyed. And then going to 16, uh, you touched on it a little bit, but to cover, you know, what is our, what's arguably the, the, the biggest championship in, in American sports history, what was that like? And especially, you know, writing the story, that, that moment covering that, that championship like. One of the things about that was you wanted to savor it. I remember Theo Epstein saying in Cleveland before the season starts, he told us, he goes, you guys just slow it down a minute and enjoy this because it's going to go by so fast. And it did. It was like uh, one of the, the um, most surreal experiences in a way, but it brought me back to, you know, previous times where here we go again, the Cubs are going to lose this again. And it's not that you were cheering for a result but you wanted to be there to chronicle the biggest story ever. So that was kind of cool. And I got to be one of three writers who got to go in the clubhouse to see the trophy presentation. They kind of uh, split that up and limited it. But uh, it was myself, Mark Gonzalez, and I think Kerry Muscat got to go into the Cubs clubhouse while they presented the trophy. So you just tried to burn all of those things in your mind so that it wouldn't be a blur and so that you would remember it. And so you would say that, yeah, I remember the last play of that series. Yeah, just to like, again, going back to the fans, I mean, Bruce, you understood the the fan base and what this meant to them. So, I mean, it, it was obviously once in a lifetime moments for them too. So was it almost difficult? Was there any pressure you think in writing the story to the fans for this 108 year drought that's finally up, this, this incredible moment, um, but just like, hey, this finally happened. And also like you were there for it. You got to see this epic moment that so many people around the world and, and specifically here in Chicago, you know, would have loved to have been there for and will remember for the rest of your life. Like how often do you reflect on that? And I guess, you know, just your emotions even throughout that whole, that whole night and that whole fall. As far as pressure, no, I mean, you get used to working on deadline as a newspaper reporter. I have done it now for 42 years writing on deadline and I continue with that with the hockey writing. So you just want to make sure that you capture it, that you don't want to be cliche about it that you want to write some words that uh really capture the spirit of the thing and i just think that uh, with that moment almost anything you could say was going to be good because you know everybody had their feelings you had fathers sons grandparents grandmothers granddaughters you were writing for them and thinking of them and you know you were trying to stay unemotional again not from a cheering standpoint but the, the gravity of the moment. So I, I think it was all those things, but I think years of training and writing on deadline really helped me out there because we had to change a pace so many times that night. Did, did you think too, going up, we talked to Pat Hughes actually on this podcast last year and just asked him like how many times he thought about his call in that moment. 
how many times, Bruce, did you think about your story or your lead or what you would write and say in the moment leading up to it? I, I thought about it often. The trap I didn't want to fall into was forcing it in case something unusual happened in that game. But uh, yeah, I thought about it often. And the one thing I regret was in 2003, the, the uh, game six, the Bartman game, I had a great story that I thought written. And when that happened, when the Marlins scored all those runs, I just blipped it out. I just deleted it. And I should have kept it because I thought it was pretty good. In addition to having hotels and airplanes for New York and Boston and the World Series in 03. <laughs> but I deleted it. But yeah, um, I, I wanted to uh, come up with something good, but I didn't want it to be cliche. And uh, yeah, I, I think it I think it held up. And then the next day, I some follow up stories I was really happy with with. I, I said, who is this World Series for? And you know, I named guys, guys like Otis and Gary in the clubhouse. You know, it's for the memory of Jack Brickhouse and Harry Carey. And it's, and, and it's for all these people who had suffered and maybe didn't get to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you didn't want to get caught up in the moment, but you did kind of. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that 100%. And uh Bruce, you had mentioned too, Joe Madden and his impact and giving the team confidence in 15 and in 16. I'm just curious, from your perspective, you covered so many legendary managers. I mean, Jim Riggleman, Dusty Baker, and obviously Joe Madden as well. And Madden had a nice send-off for you into semi-retirement, I remember, at the end of 2019. I thought that was a really, really classy move at Wrigley Field there. But I, just what was it like to cover Madden? How does he compare to some of the other managers that you had covered throughout the, cor the course of your career, too? Well, Joe will always be a favorite of mine simply because every day was kind of a baseball lesson and he never talked down to us as reporters or media people. He explained things and it was a good back and forth. I always said that I got to cover Joe Madden, Dusty Baker, and Lou Pinella. If you're a beat writer and you cover those three guys, you've got it made. And you mentioned Jim Riggleman. I still hear from Jim, total gentleman and a very good manager. But when you get the really big names like Pinella, Baker, and Madden, wow. Uh, Dusty and Joe remind me a lot of each other because they're both well-read. They have some unconventional thoughts, but I, I always think, uh, I think Madden gets a bad rap for his handling of the pitching. And, and there was some very justified criticism in game six and seven, but people forget one thing. The Cubs were down three to one in that series. They were ripe for the taking. Could have lost. I saw the 07 and 08 teams. Lou Pinella was a little bit uptight. I think that translated to his team. Joe was the same guy every day. The beat writers would go into his office before every game of that World Series. He's the same guy. Music's going on the TV. Hey, did you see this? He's having a piece of chocolate and uh, just, just talking about whether it's the Rolling Stones or the weather or whatever it might be. And it's like, this guy's not panicking. And guess what? His team didn't either. So for all of the justified criticism he gets for game six and seven with the pitching, he never gets the credit for keeping that team on an even keel when they could have been done after four games. Bruce, I want to take it back a little bit. Um, something that I think almost kind of gets overlooked in baseball in general is the 2005 Derek Lee season. I mean, that was it, 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 one of the, the singular, you know, best uh, seasons that a, that a player could have. What do you remember covering that? And, and, and what was it like seeing, you know, what he was doing that that year? So oh, it was really amazing. And, and you look at it and I know we go back and forth about the importance of the stat RBIs. He hit three something, whatever, 40, whatever home runs it is. And he had only 
100 and whatever five RBIs, but he should have had like 140 or 150. And that, you know, speaks to the whole, well, there should have been guys on base ahead of him, but that's a whole another story. But Derek remains one of the favorites. Uh, he's the best right-handed first baseman I've seen. I thought Jeff Bagwell was really good, and he was. Derek Lee, I thought, was a little bit better. Uh, very thoughtful about the game. And I really do wish that he were involved in the game as an instructor, a coach, a manager, in whatever way it was. I saw him at a Cubs convention a few years ago, and I told him that. But that was a monster season. And that's one of those trades that, that Jim Hendry made when he was the GM. And he traded Hesop Choi for Derek Lee after the, the Marlins won the World Series. And, and I remember in April of that year, Derek Lee was getting booed at Wrigley Field. And he stopped, Troy was hitting nine home runs for the Marlins in April of that year in 04. And Jim Hendry kept saying, just wait. This is a 40 home run a year guy. Just wait. And, you know, he proved a lot of people. He proved Jim right and a lot of other people wrong who were quick to jump on him. But, yeah, Derek Lee uh, just just class all of the way. And, uh, again, just a, a, a beautiful first baseman to watch from a fielding standpoint. And I just reiterate again, I wish he were still in the game somehow. Kind of going, building off that a little bit, um, were there, obviously we've talked about some of the great stories that you've gotten to tell some of the great moments you've gotten to live. Was there any stories that you, you wish you could, uh, you were able to have told or, or that you, you know, wish that you had uh, maybe some more time uh, on? You know, I, I suppose every writer or every reporter has that. Of course, you'd like to go find, you know, Steve Bartman and have him tell his story. I think we've all tried, and um, but you have to respect him for, you know, not wanting to do that and not wanting to make a spectacle of himself. So just to find out, you know, what were your feelings? Had you come back to Wrigley Field, maybe wearing some different clothes or whatever it might be? So that might be one. But no, overall, I think you give it your best shot when you have it, whether it's the the home run chase with Sammy and McGuire, that was something to cover. Uh, Kerry Wood's career, uh, the stretch down in 03 when Pryor and Wood were just dealing. So I, I think no real regret because I just think that uh, as a daily reporter, you give it your best shot that day and see what happens. But no, uh, just a lot of good feelings. You mentioned 88 or 98 too, and we know we've touched on it a little bit here. <clears throat> Excuse me, but... I'm curious, Bruce, like just what was that like your first year on the beat and you have this home run chase and you had Kerry Wood, the 20 strikeout game in May and Cubs making the playoffs and the wild card game against the Giants and just this like incredible year that so many Cubs fans remember. What was that experience like for you? I will tell you what it was like. I went to spring training on Friday, February 13th. I wake up on Sunday and I hear on the radio as the alarm goes off. No one is quite sure what happened to Harry Carey last night. And I'm like, please, God, let it be some other Harry Carey. Three days into spring training, Harry Carey collapses. A few days later, he dies. They call up Carey Wood in May. Boom, 20 strikeouts. The wild card chase, Sammy's 20 home runs in June of that year. In August, Jack Brickhouse dies. You had the race to the wild card. You had the Brant Brown game. And the, oh, no, uh, <laughs> The, the wild card playoff, the series in Houston where Nephi Perez hits a home run for the Rockies when it looked like the Cubs were dead. We're walking down to the clubhouse thinking the Cubs were dead. By the time we get to the clubhouse in the Astrodome, the Cubs were still alive and they were going to play another game. And by that point, uh, it was everything packed into one season where you thought to yourself, I survived this. I got through this. I even thrived through it. 
I can keep doing this because everything that could be thrown at you was. So it was a baptism of fire in a lot of ways, but a lot of fun because, hey, let's face it, we're covering sports, we're covering the Cubs going to the playoffs. It's a lot of fun. So even though they fell uh, to Atlanta in, in the playoffs that year, it was one thing after another that season. And it was just, uh, you look back and it's like, yeah, what a first year. And yeah, on the same line, you know, 2003 with, with Bartman and everything that went into to that, like you said, I mean, they were one game away from the World Series. So many Cubs fans thought it was the year, but just this infamous moment in baseball history, what was it like being at Wrigley Field for that day, that series, and how that all played out? I mean, even game seven, Kerry Woods home run uh, and still ended up losing it and Marlins going to win the World Series. Just can you take us behind that perspective a little bit, Bruce? Yeah, and I think it really started in Atlanta with the Cubs beating the Braves. It was their first, you know, postseason victory of any kind since 1908. And you saw Kerry Wood and some of these guys going down the left field line and spraying champagne uh, on the Cubs fans who were at Turner Field that night. And there were a lot of them. There were a lot of Cubs fans for that series in Atlanta. The Braves had the Braves fans had become kind of blasé about winning. The Cubs fans traveled well. So the next series, they're playing the Marlins and they go up three games to one. And you think this thing is over. But the one guy who didn't was Jack McKean, then the manager of the Marlins. He'd have his cigar after the game and he goes like, yeah, well, we're still here. We're still here. Uh, game five in Miami, Jake or, uh, Beckett strikes out Kenny Lofton to start the game. Lofton's got no chance. And I turned to the writer next to me and said, we're going back to Chicago after one batter because Beckett was just uh, Josh Beckett was just dealing that day. So you get back to Chicago, you think, okay, little, you know, the Marlins are a pretty good team. They won at home. The Cubs can wrap this thing up in game six. And it certainly looked like with prior on the mound that it was going to happen going back in that series, they blew a lead at home with, with Zambrano on the mound. And then I know Dusty takes a lot of criticism for leaving in prior, leaving prior in a game for what seven innings and a blowout. So you get to the eighth inning in that game. And like I said, I had my story written. I had reservations made for the World Series. And it's like the air went out of that place immediately when the Marlins were scoring one run after the other. And people were saying, and I did some radio stuff, you know, what's going to happen in game seven? And I thought, no, they've got a shot. But, you know, we all know what happened. Uh, and here's the thing. Kerry Wood stood in the middle of the clubhouse after game seven and said, I choked. So there was some real accountability there. Uh, and uh, that, that's one of the things I think that people forget, that in, in the midst of all of that uh, disappointment, you know, Kerry stood there and he took it. But I know that there was deep, deep disappointment. To me, it's a, um, it was a history-changing game. I think that series changed the course of Cubs history. What happens if they win and even get to the World Series and don't even win it? Dusty probably is there longer. Andy McPhail and Jim Hendry are there longer. Does the Tribune sell the team? I don't know. But I think that that series, there are very few things that change the course of history. But I think that one did. Bruce, throughout the course of your career, I'm, I know there were so many takeaways and we've been over some of them. One you had that stuck with me was 
just ask, like, you never know what's going to happen. And um, it was after a John Lackey session, which were always, you know, must see for media. And you never knew what he was going to say about a haircut or whatever. And I had just asked some question about defense and he got into some big long thing about how Albert Armora missed the cutoff man and ended up being a little bit of a rant. And you had told me after like, see, you know, just ask, you never know what, what comes from it. And that's always stuck with me. And I'm curious, Bruce, for, for any of the young journalists listening, anybody trying to break into the industry, do you have any parting wisdom, you know, you have for them or, and, and just to, I don't know, to, to get into the industry, to, to do this on a daily basis or in general to, to become a, a journalist? Yeah, I would say at this point, stick with it. If that's your passion and your dream, stick with it. Because whether it's whether newspapers are here or not, whether blogs or whatever are here or not, people are always going to want information. And you'll be able to get that information from someplace. So if you want to be a journalist or a writer or a broadcaster, stick with it, follow your dream, and don't let anybody tell you. Because I've been to schools and, and I've heard other writers say, yeah, when I go there, I tell them, yeah, uh, study finance or study economics or accounting or law. Don't go into this stupid field of journalism. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, it's uh, the hours are long. It's uh, It ain't the glory thing that people think it is, but I think we're all, we've all done it because we love doing it. We love telling stories and, and we love informing the reader. So I would just say, if you're a young journalist, stick with it. And also, Get as broad a based education as you can. I got into this because there was going to be no math and there was going to be no serious hard news. I'm talking to antitrust professors about baseball strikes. I'm talking to pharmacists and doctors about steroids and all this kind of thing. I'm talking to uh, professors about antitrust law and labor law. So there's a lot of news. So I would say, you know, study as much as you can. Uh, in school and get as broad a based education as you can because sports don't exist in a vacuum. Sports are in the real world. And, you know, we're going to see it again with this labor situation. We've seen it with the steroids. We've seen it with the uh, whatever scandals there might be. So, uh, but fo follow your passion. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. If you like sports and if you like telling stories and if you like writing, stick with it and just keep banging on that door. Uh, if somebody says, no, it's just a detour, you know, go five degrees from this angle and approach it, but stick with it. That, that's really my main uh, message here. And, and, and like we were talking about asking questions, don't be afraid to ask the obvious answer. Are you hurt? And the guy might give you a 10 minute answer. Yeah, I tore my this or that. So uh, all of those things. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. We really appreciate uh, chatting with you and learning more from you, listening to stories. So thank you so much for stopping by the Cubs Weekly Podcast. My pleasure, and I'm flattered that you had me, guys. All right, that was an awesome chat with Bruce Miles. We appreciate his time and love those, those stories and his insight about his, you know, almost 25 years covering this Cubs team here in Chicago. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Hope everybody had a great and healthy holiday season. Happy New Year, and we'll catch you again soon.